0: everybody and welcome back on the macro compass this article is dedicated about debunking some myth about money printing the title goes like all they told you about money printing is really really wrong now without properly understanding money it's basically impossible to connect the countless dots of the global macro puzzle Yet, we assume that we know all about money. Universities, mainstream economic courses, they all teach us that governments need money to fund their spending, central banks can print money, the money we use, and commercial banks kind of multiply or lend away customers' money in a fractional reserve banking system. All of that is literally wrong. Our monetary and credit system instead envisages two distinct tiers of money real economy money and financial sector money. Now, governments and commercial banks have the ability to print real economy money. That's the money that we use as households. That's the money that's potentially inflationary. Central banks instead have the ability to only print financial sector money. That's interbank money, interbank liquidity. In this article, we will discuss these two main forms of money in details go through the basic mechanics of real economy and financial sector money printing and debunk the most common money printing myth. Now, let's first define the two main tiers of money and why do we care about them from a global macro as allocation point of view. As we said, there are two main tiers of money. The first is real economy money and is the one used by non-financial private sector agents, which is households, corporates, it's us, We use this form of real economy money to make transactions that contribute to economic activity. The more real economy money out there, everything else equal, the more likely that economic growth will be stronger. And also, a rapid increase in this amount of money at a time when the supply of goods and services cannot adjust upwards will most likely generate strong inflationary pressures. In other words, rapid changes in the amount of real economy money, the one that we use, generally tend to anticipate rapid changes in economic growth and inflation. It's very important, therefore, to understand and measure how this real economy money develops for asset allocation. Financial sector money, instead, is the one used by financial entities, mostly banks, but also pension funds, asset managers, and so on. And the more financial sector money out there, the more likely these financial agents will be over time to engage in riskier activities and buy riskier assets in an attempt to generate better returns. In other words, the level and the rate of change of this financial sector money tells us about the attitude that financial institutions are likely to have towards taking risks. Also, very important to know when it comes to asset allocation. Now, to the point, what is real economy money? What is financial sector money? And who prints what? Point number one, commercial banks and governments print real economy money, not central banks. Let's explain this. Nowadays, given that in many jurisdictions, cash transactions are only roughly 5% of total, we can state that real economy money is mostly bank deposits held by the non-financial private sector. Non-financial, so that means it's a a private um, uh, entity that is not in the financial sector and in the private sector. That basically leaves households and corporates holding bank deposits. How are these bank deposits held by the non-financial private sector created? They are created in two ways. A, every time a commercial bank makes a loan. Every time they make a loan, new real economy money is created because banks do not lend reserves or they do not lend existing deposits. The Bank of England themselves in 2014 already showed that when uh, making a new loan a bank expands their balance sheet they literally credit our account out of nowhere and by doing so they create new deposits for the financial for the non-financial private sector so for the people you can see the chart in the article that shows how every time a bank lends, effectively it expands their balance sheet it creates a new loan and it creates a new deposit it basically creates new money new spendable real economy money For consumers. Now, does this mean that banks can just print as much money as they want? Well, not really. Banks are private capitalistic entities which need to maximize return on equity for their shareholders and act within the tight boundaries of regulation, which means banks will decide about their lending activity. And remember, new loans means new money being created, looking at these criteria. Are there any credit-worthy borrowers out there? Are the loan yields attractive for a bank. And what about the required capital and balance sheet costs? In other words, what about the regulatory constraints out there? If there is a good trade-off amongst these three variables, banks expand their lending books. Otherwise, they don't. And did you notice that the amount of bank reserves, which are generated by QE, that that those banks own is basically irrelevant in the decision-making progress? Yes, because QE is not real economy money printing. And I will come back to this later. But summarizing, commercial banks can expand the amount of real economy money every time they decide to expand their lending activity. Now, the other real economy money printer is the government. So if the government would decide to spend more than it plans to collect taxes for, in other words, the government will make deficits. In most cases, this will end up creating new real economy money. Government deficits increases the net worth of the private sector, and it doesn't even add the liability to the private sector. It's literally increasing the asset of the private sector without increasing the liabilities of the private sector. Think about it. When the U.S. government sent checks to American citizens American people literally saw the amount of their spendable real economy money increase out of nowhere with no liability, no debt attached to it. As you can see in the scheme that I posted in the article, that basically looks at what happens to governments, central banks, commercial banks, and the private sector after government deficit spending. You can see how government deficit spending increases the amount of non-financial sector Depo- non-financial private sector deposits, which if you remember is real economy money. This is true as long as households don't need to finance the government, don't need to purchase the treasuries issued by the government itself. In most cases, that is correct because those bonds are bought by financial institution or the central bank. That means that deficit spending prints real economy money. It increases the net worth of the private sector as households don't experience an increase in debt when the government is cutting their taxes or is sending checks at home. In other words, the government deficits boosts the financial wealth of the private sector. It's a very, very important thing. And an interesting distinction between commercial banks printing money and the government printing money. Because every time a commercial bank makes a loan, yes, they print new real economy money, but the consumer who's taking that newly created money, who's taking that credit on, is also taking a liability with it. Think of a mortgage. A bank is crediting your account. Yes, you can buy a house with money you didn't have. It's been created out of nowhere. But also a loan, a liability is being created. Your mortgage, you need to repay your debt over time. When the government spends in deficit otherwise, and you are not funding the government by buying the treasury is the issue because the central bank or the commercial bank is doing that for you, what you get is an increase in your assets You get more money because the government is cutting your taxes, the government is sending money directly to you, and you do not get an attached liability to it. Now, as shown, banks and governments print real economy money. In the big picture, that's really important because this real economy money printing boosts aggregate demand and it can lead also to inflationary pressures. That's exactly what we have seen in 2020 and 2021. Massive fiscal deficits and government-sponsored bank lending ended up overheating the economy, resulting in very strong real GDP growth at the end of 2021 and inflationary pressures on top of that. And I created an index, which is the global credit impulse, which tracks the pace of real economy money creation in inflation-adjusted terms in the five largest economies in the world. And as you can see in the chart again, rapid changes in the amount of real economy money anticipate rapid changes in economic growth. It's very important to understand who prints real economy money and track it because it's relevant for asset allocation. Now, the second form of money, financial sector money. Central banks can increase or decrease the amount of financial sector money. By a quantitative easing and other monetary policy operations, central banks print bank reserves. You can think of bank reserves as money for banks. Banks use those reserves to settle transactions against each other, engage in monetary plumbing operations, repo, reverse repo with each other. The main point is that reserves can only be used by entities with the Fed, with the central bank account. Now, what this means is that effectively, a central bank can uh, expand the liability side of their balance sheet by printing reserves via QE and change the composition of the asset side of the financial institutions balance sheet. When they do QE, they buy bonds from them, they take away bonds from the system and they swap them for bank reserves. The interbank system as a whole cannot refuse this transaction. This transaction needs to happen and there is always a clearing price for QE transactions. In aggregate, the banking system, the financial system, will have less bonds and more bank reserves it's a swap in the composition of their balance sheet. As said before, banks do not lend reserves to the real economy. Nobody can use reserves if they do not have an account at the Fed or at the central bank. And I don't know about you, but I don't have an account at the central bank. Reserves cannot be used in the real economy. So it doesn't matter how many reserves you throw at banks. You can throw as many as you want to them, and it won't change their stance when it comes to lending. And Japan showed us in the early 2000s already that this is exactly what happens. Bank reserves doubled in five years as the Bank of Japan went on with QE and yet bank loans actually shrank by 25% in the same period. We double the amount of reserves, banks lend less. Now, this goes to show that the central bank can create financial sector money, but that financial sector money does not enter the real economy. The other important and less known form of financial sector money is bank deposits held by non-bank financial institutions and i'm talking about asset managers pension funds they own bank deposits now when the central bank purchases bonds from a pension fund for example via qe what happens the pension fund now has less bonds and more deposits these deposits held by a pension fund or an asset manager though are not real economy money. They are financial sector money. The pension fund cannot directly spend them in activities that boost nominal GDP growth, but it can and it will use them to maybe purchase other financial assets. Financial sector money are stuck within the financial system, either within the interbank system or within the overall financial system, but they do not enter the real economy directly bank deposits held by non-banks, pension funds, asset managers, are another form of financial sector money. Now, think about it. If financial institutions, banks, and other financial institutions are deprived of their bonds and they're stashed with excess reserves if they are a bank or deposits if they are another financial institution, as long as volatility is low and the economy is not falling apart, All these financial institutions, over time, are likely to try and rebalance their portfolio back to risk assets. Now, that means that the more financial sector money out there, be it reserves for banks or bank deposits held by pension funds and asset managers, the more likely it is that those financial agents will try over time to engage in riskier activities and chase riskier assets in an attempt to generate better returns with this financial sector money. This is why tracking the level and the rate of change in bank reserves and more broadly in financial sector money is also very important for global macro asset allocation. So, recapping, guys, there are two main forms of money, real economy money and financial sector money. Real economy money is the money that we use. It's used by non-financial private sector agents. We use real economy money to contribute to economic activity. The more real economy money out there, all else equal, the more likely economic growth will be stronger. And also, if we print a lot of this real economy money all at once, there is quite a high chance that inflation will pop up as well. Who prints real economy money? Not the central bank, but governments and commercial banks. And the aggregate amount of real economy money out there is tracked via my global credit impulse together with the rate of change of this amount of money. Financial sector money instead is the one used by financial entities, mostly by banks, and those are called bank reserves, but also by non-bank financial institutions. Pension funds, asset managers, they own deposits. Yes, those are bank deposits, but they cannot be spent in the real economy by these agents. So those are financial sector money too. The more financial sector money out there the more likely that financial agents over time will try to engage in riskier activities, chase risk assets because they want to generate better returns with this abundant amount of financial sector money out there. In other words, they'll be trying to take more risks. So where do we stand today? How much real economy money? How much financial sector money out there? Has there been an increase? Has there been a decrease in these two different years of money? Well, today, both the pace of creation of financial sector money I tracked bank reserves in the chart and real economy money tracked by my global credit impulse is consistently pointing downwards. That generally is a bad combination for risk assets that is, as it anticipates weaker economic growth, weaker nominal growth in general, and wider credit spreads, more difficult periods ahead for risk assets. To wrap it up, guys, one final thought about how safe your money is as well one good way to think about the safety of your money or your bank deposit in our our economy is to ask yourself, whose liability is actually my money? Think about it. If you have a bank deposit and you are in the US, for instance, of less than $250,000, implicitly, your money is a liability of the government because even if the bank defaults the FDIC insurance over time, will be able to reimburse you for amounts below $250,000. So you're basically running the risk of the U.S. government. in a T-bill that matures every three months, it's also a form of money, a bit less illiquid, but it is a form of money. Your money is the direct liability of the U.S. government because those T-bills are issued by the government of the United States. If you go above $250,000 on a bank deposit, then the money above that amount is the unsecured liability of the commercial bank. If the bank goes belly up, your money is literally gone. Money parked on a crypto exchange like FTX, well, that's liability of SBF uh, and uh, that hasn't gone very well. So always think about whose liability is my money to get an assessment of the embedded risk in your bank deposits and the credit, uh, the credit worthiness of your money in today's monetary system. Guys, this was it for today. Thanks for listening and Now, of course, I appreciate if you share the article and the word about the Macro Compass with friends. Finally, a quick reminder from January 1st, getting access to this content and much more that will be available on the Macro Compass platform will require a paid subscription. But there is an exclusive offer for. A loyal The Macro Compass reader and listeners. You can get in now and pay only eight months instead of 12. The offer is time limited though. It runs for only three more days until November the 30th. And out of the 2000 available spots initially, there are only 145 left of which roughly 20 for pro subscribers. This is the last round effectively. Go and check out guys, which subscription tier suits you the most and take advantage of the exclusive offer before November 30th. You can find all the details in the article clicking on the button, get me in or join now at the top of the article. Thanks for listening, guys, and we will talk again next week.